Welcome, everyone, to Season 4, Episode 128 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashmika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we're primarily going to be spending uh, a majority of the time talking about the big news that happened actually a day after we recorded um, our podcast last week, which was Newcastle United basically getting a new ownership. Uh, Mike Ashley has been um, booted out the club, um, and we have new owners in the Premier League that have caused a lot of controversy and a lot of um, talking points, especially among pundits and general consensus from the fan base, um, which has been really interesting. And we're excited to kind of dive into that and also mentioning some um, big injury updates from some of the top clubs in the Premier League. But to get it started, we do have to talk about the big news, which is Newcastle United um, having new owners and basically having a three million pound um, takeover that has taken over um, last week. And essentially how the takeover is going to work is that I believe 70 percent of the club um, has been purchased by Saudi Arabia's um, public investment fund, which is the PIF. Um, and as Tyler has put in the docs, essentially a, a state savings account. And then the other 20 percent will also be held by um I think it's called the what is it the this the sports and entertainment it's something it's basically the UK holding for the fund um but the reason that the Premier League was allowed or the the reason the Premier League allowed this sale to go through is because for the longest time there has been a stalemate with this sale because if you go back around this time last year or just a couple months before we were actually talking about this potential takeover happening during COVID times. But the reason it didn't happen was because of obviously a lot of the concerns morally with the Saudi Arabian um, backed government. But also um, there were a couple of things. So one thing that allowed the Premier League to kind of lift that band and just allow the sale to go through is that Saudi Arabia actually allowed BN Sports. They lifted the band from BN Sports and allowed um, BN to broadcast Premier League games in Saudi Arabia. And BN is a huge um, uh, Premier League's right rights holder in the Middle East. So the fact that they were able to lift that up, um, the Premier League was happy about that. But also the Premier League essentially got assurances from the Saudi Arabian government and also the new owners from Newcastle that the Saudi Arabian government will not have its say in the transfer market and also in the board meetings for Newcastle United. Instead, it will be held by um, the Newcastle's new director, which is Amanda Staveley, and also the other um, governing UK members of Newcastle United. But if you ask a lot of casual fans and also a lot of non-Newcastle fans or people just across the football world, they don't really think this is um, that's going to be the case because obviously if you're the Saudi Arabian government and you're putting um, this much money, like 3 million pounds, but if you're putting this much money, like around 800, like 300 million pound takeover into the move and you're the Saudi Arabian government, you're not basically just going to say, no, I'm not going to have any dealings with the transfer market, any dealings with the board, any dealings with how the club is going to be run. So essentially it's kind of like a handshake deal that they're not going to, they're going to stay out of the government or stay out of the um, Premier League, I guess, what would you call it? Board meetings, but that's obviously not going to be the case. So it's a very interesting situation and, you know, we're excited to break it down, but Tyler, it's a, it's kind of a whirlwind type of day or type of week in the Premier League at least. And I also went back into our old podcast just to figure out when exactly we last talked about this. And it was episode 72 on May, May 1st, 2020. So that's when originally this plan was supposed to go through, but then it just fell through last minute just because of all the controversy around the owner. And even though right now there is a lot of talks, it's like 
This is literally a state savings account for the Saudi Arabian government. How is this allowed? Is this the owner is basically a government, which is kind of weird. Yeah. But they're but the Premier League has the power to rescind the ownership from the PIF if they have any kind of hints or any kind of awareness that the Saudi Arabian Prince Mohammed bin Salman. I hope I'm saying that right. It's spelled like Salman, but you know, maybe it's the <laughs> Salman coming out. Salman. Yeah. But if they see any involvement from him running the club, then they have the right to just pull the plug and then Newcastle are in the bin. So it's pretty high risk at the same time that they're even doing this takeover. But in terms of Newcastle fans' perspective, they finally got Mike Ashley out. That's like the biggest thing. They had their owner that's been just the bane of their existence, finally kicked out of the club, and now it's the richest owner of all time in the soccer world. We saw yeah. like a stat, I believe last week, like Yosh and I shared it, where I believe the owner of this club, Newcastle now, is 10 times more wealthy than Manchester City's owners at like a valuation of like 400 billion or something. It was something insane. And to put in perspective, that's more than all of the top 10 wealthiest clubs in the Premier League combined. And this is just one owner. So that's crazy. This doesn't mean though that Newcastle can all of a sudden just buy Mbappe, Holland, and you know, Neuer and Oblak, all those players all at one summer. Like they can't just change all like that. They still have to fulfill financial fair play rules, which means they have to basically earn as much revenue back as they spend in terms of like ad sense, in terms of ticket sales and just sponsorships. So we don't know how they're going to do it exactly because, you know, Newcastle is a big brand, but they're going to have to take some time just to get back into like the Champions League, Europa League, all those competitions that will give you reward money for being in those competitions and also just getting their name out there. Because if you think about it, how many Newcastle fans do you know? <laughs> not, like, not too many. Not too not many, many in the U.S. at least. And I'm pretty sure it's a lot bigger in Europe, obviously, because in the 90s, Newcastle was a very big club under Alan yeah, Shearer. Alan Shearer. Alan and Shearer, then, like top record Premier League goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Legend and even club. Michael Owen was there for a few. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of fallen from grace. And then their rivals, as you know, Sunderland, also not even in the Premier League. They're just in the bin. They're in the bin. So, <laughs> I mean, it must be terrible for a Sunderland fan right now. Imagine seeing this takeover. But... I think it'll be several years until we start seeing Newcastle kind of show the guns, show their muscles from getting this huge investment, this huge takeover, because there's still a lot of work to do. And according to Amanda Stavely, like their new director, who basically is Rebecca from Ted Lasso, (laughs) like not both on just like appearance wise, but also I believe like position wise at the at the, I almost said at the firm, at the company. No, I, I just <laughs> yeah. said at the company, at the club itself. But uh, she's basically the representative for the PIF. Mm-hmm. And she's basically be deciding how, you know, transfers are done and like the main communicator between her and the board of the PIF. So it'll be interesting to see what their first move is because I think their first move is to determine how to keep Newcastle in the Premier League because right now they're sitting in 19th it could be the most ironic thing where the most wealthy owners come in and then they get relegated <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the most expensive most wealthy owners just managing like a championship side there's like there's no way 
I guess the criticism has come, obviously, with the oil money and the takeover and just the amount of money being thrown in. That's one aspect of a lot of people not wanting this ownership to come in because we've seen the likes of PSG, Manchester City basically become clubs like these mega huge backed state clubs because they have all this money and they basically paid their way to glory. Um, but another thing that's also come into criticism for this um you know, new, new regime at Newcastle is the the crown prince that essentially you had the journalist, uh, one of the journalists actually, um, there have been stories and they've actually, I think a, a government report actually linked him towards the uh, killing of the journalists. So mm-hmm. uh, that's also been a huge talking point between moral rights groups is that how can we allow, how did the Premier League allow someone that basically had his hand in murdering someone be the owner of a club. And that's kind of been a talking point that I've seen a lot of people bring up in, you know, pundits and also, you know, casual fans that how did the Premier League basically succumb to the money? Obviously, it's a lot of money in the Premier League at the end of the day is a corporation. So they obviously want to get as much money as possible. But the fact that they let a ownership of this kind come in, um, even with the shady background of the past where they have had those um, instances of basically having someone murdered, which is just an outrageous and absolutely just crazy thing to think about. But uh, I wanted to real quickly ask, um, I guess an overarching theme is just with this, we've seen um, this kind of adds on to the oil club and kind of like the, the, this huge financial takeovers that have happened in other clubs with PSG, Manchester city, even Chelsea with Roman Abramovich, even though he's not directly oil, He's a huge, wealthy person from Russia come in to the club, inject money. And, you know, Chelsea have obviously become these huge superpowers because of it. But specifically looking at Manchester City, PSG, how they were essentially in 2010, almost nothing. New owners come in, inject a lot of money, and now they're these superpower clubs. And now Newcastle are potentially in that same running. But uh, I, I wanted to hear your thoughts about overall how you think about in terms of the morality of the game and kind of just where the game is heading now because now it's it's just all about how much money do you have and not about the the history and the backstory of the club i feel like this particular instance there's a lot of exceptions a lot of things to point out that are like ooh, that's a that's a red flag right there and you know obviously the murdering of the journalist that's been accused towards you know the prince like being the one who basically said to do it like that's probably like the biggest one and also on top of that just like human rights issues just going on in saudi arabia itself yeah and all of that they're linking is like well that's with him but the pif is something different he's, he's you know that's just a whole other entity i'm like uh, i don't know so <laughs> if it's his literally savings so much, account it, it, yeah, it's literally a savings account it's like you know it's like although it's like you know al capone you know, kill all these people and it's part of the mob is like, well, his savings account, someone is no, different. <laughs> it's not really. It's like, it's his, but you know, it's, it's not actually him. It's, it's, it's like a pile of money. So I think that's, what's going on here a little bit. Although this public saving account is like, I'm calling a public savings, a public investment fund, but basically it's a savings account. It's mm-hmm. kind of run by a board of people too. And also a board of, companies that are kind of involved because like they've also invested in other companies such as like Facebook, Uber, things like that. And basically the Saudi Arabian government is trying to, you know, differentiate what they're investing into just so that they can keep the country running because ultimately they're going to run out of oil and that's where all their money is coming from. 
So yeah. if they run out, then it's like, all right, we got and, we need other revenue streams. So they're yeah, kind I, of investing in all these other things. Um, so to kind yeah, of go back to it, your question, well, I, w- I was going to add, I was going to interject here real quickly. I think uh, also what's a lot of people have been bringing up, um, I guess the morality of it, um, that this is essentially a, another example of a, a regime or a government kind of coming in and like sports washing, which essentially that means is you have, I guess, these totalitarian governments that do a lot of shady stuff in their own government, but they buy a team or they put a lot of money into a sports organization or a team. And essentially, they basically run that team like it's a perfect, you know, type of person or perfect child. So it's almost like, hey, like, you know, you can't criticize me. Look what I'm doing over here. Like I'm supporting, you know, all the human rights um, I'm supporting all the uh, all the campaigns that the Premier League is putting out for ad- at advancing human rights. I'm doing all of this. I'm you know donating money to blah blah blah. But uh, it also it, when you do that, it also takes away from the fact that hey, look what you're doing in your own backyard. You know, um, it, it's it's stuff like that. And I, I think that's also been a point that a lot of uh, human rights organizations, just you know, general football fans in general, have been bringing up. It's just like um, that overall theme of like. Hey, you are doing this, but look at what you're doing in your own backyard. It's not the best things or it's not, you know, really the right things to do. But that that's also been another point that's been brought up a lot um, in these conversations with the this new regime and ownership. Like sports washing. That's that's like a whole new thing that's kind of coming up recently, or is all these mm-hmm. kind of yeah, as you just mentioned, all these totalitarian governments. It's like, you know, we're bringing you trophies, PSG. Like, you know. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, you guys don't check what we're doing behind the scenes. But I mean, ultimately, like the reason why they're even investing in a Newcastle, it seems like it's also just monetarily like a revenue based thing just for their own government, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird to see. It's like <laughs> in the future, government's <laughs> just being held up by Newcastle United, at, at least for one of its streams. But mm-hmm. I think that's also the thing, too. It's like the owners, I don't even I don't know they're Newcastle fans, you know, it's yeah, just like, I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. It's just more like, all right, this is a good opportunity. You know, it has a lot of rich history. They have a good stadium already. We can invest in the surrounding areas and then hopefully it'll give us some returns. And then I even think they're trying to invest in certain like wind power and other kind of ways to create energy on that Northeast side of England as well. So it's just like they're already mm-hmm. in the same area that they're kind of investing into. So it's like, you know, this would be a good collateral just to put into the, to the, yeah. to the fund. Cause 300 million pounds is a lot. honestly for them a lot, but in the whole grand scheme of things is not too much in what yeah. they have. So I think in terms of morality, obviously they don't really, I don't think they really care. And obviously they don't really care given like what they're doing in the backyard, but also the fact that they're purchasing this club, it could have been any club really. It just yeah. don't have to be Newcastle. So, yeah. You know, and I, I was just going to ask you in general, um, what you think just PSG, Manchester City and Newcastle coming in with this with this big money? Um, like, like, do you think that just ruins the game or or that I, I, I don't know. I'm just indifferent because I feel like for for the longest time, at least, I feel like, you know, people always make the joke that the game's gone. But I feel like the game has been, you know, partially gone for a while now because they have been, um, you know, kind of just siding with the power of money. Obviously, FIFA and UEFA have been really corrupt organizations for the longest time. And, you know, we're seeing just a lot of people just use football for the money and not really the purity of the game, which is kind of escaping football right now. Mm. I feel like 
being a fan of a team that is pretty wealthy like Liverpool and then also for you US Manchester United we're a little biased just because like we're already in that circle where it's like you know the team will probably do all right for the foreseeable future and the immediate mm-hmm. now but for a team like Newcastle I feel like they would hop on this train immediately it's like yeah of course we'll take the money and it's not always a guarantee because there was a team in the 90s like Blackburn Rovers that had the similar kind of takeover where they like boomed really quickly and then they like fell off like fell off the page and they're not even in the Premier League anymore. So it's mm-hmm. really a, a thing also of like how much can they can this board really plan out successfully how to bring Newcastle success and how to also bring in the right players because they can't just be pulling like a Barcelona and just spending like hundreds of millions on players and then putting themselves in a billion dollars of debt because yeah. that that could happen. So they have to be smart with the money too and. I mean, ultimately, I also heard that they're trying to invest in like the local area around the stadium and like, you know, develop this training grounds, things like that. So there is some collateral good. I feel like that could come out of just having money and just investing in not only Newcastle United, but also Newcastle, the town as an infrastructure reason. But in terms of the game, if I see like Holland and Bappe and Oblak on Newcastle in like the next seven years, I'll be kind of upset. I will say that. But if they develop their own training staff, like their own academy, and they do it in a way where it kind of brings back the glory to the club and kind of brings, you know, more fans the right way, kind of like how, you know, like Liverpool are right now, the way Arsenal's trying to be under Mikel Arteta and trying to, and, you know, bring up players more naturally and not just be like, a Galactico and just buy the current best player on the market every single season. And that's how they became who they are. Kind of like Manchester city in the past decade, then, you know, it kind of depends. So I kind of have to see how Newcastle develops before kind of making that decision, but they have the keys to do, you know, a more moral way of kind of developing the Mm -hmm. club and bringing them glory. But they can also very easily, since they have all this money to, just go south and just, you know what, just go ham <laughs> and just buy players yeah. out the wazoo. And oddly enough, um, as bad of an owner Mike Ashley was in terms of never investing, the fact that he hadn't invest so much is that it actually ended up becoming a benefit for Newcastle right now because the fact that he didn't spend a ton of money for the past three or past couple of years, Newcastle actually ended up with a huge net profit um, in their, you know, their balance sheet. So now that the new owners have come in, they also have their money to play with, but also on top of that, they have Mike Ashley's money to play with as well that he basically did by not purchasing or not buying or not investing a ton to the club. So oddly enough, it just ended up working out for Newcastle. But I wanted to, uh, I guess, go back to your thing about Steve Bruce in terms of the rumors and their next steps on what they're trying to do. I, I saw there were some pictures of the new, um, you know, Amanda Staveley, uh I wish I'm pronouncing the last name correctly, but Amanda, the new director for Newcastle, her and her husband were actually on the training ground, I think a couple of days ago for the first time, um, and just, you know, watching first team practice. And I know a lot of the coverage has been on Steve Bruce. Basically, he's going to be one of the first people out. He still has a job right now. And there were rumors today that Brendan Rogers, that they were trying to tout Brendan Rogers to be the new, the new manager for their big project. But those rumors have essentially gone downwind because, um, Lester or Brandon Rogers, they haven't put out a statement, but rumors um, from people close to Brandon Rogers' camp is that he's not interested in going to Newcastle. He wants to stay at Man- or stay at Leicester City because there was actually a report that once Pep Guardiola 
um, finishes up his contract with Manchester City, um, they are kind of touting Brendan Rodgers to kind of take over Pep Guardiola. So that's another thing. But um, right now they're trying to find that, I guess, that manager to lead the project. And I know where Manchester City, um, before they obviously got uh, Manuel Pellegrini or um, forgetting the manager. Uh, Mancini. Yeah, Roberto Mancini. They actually had Mark Hughes um, was their manager for a little bit before when they still had, you know, some of the good players or up and coming, you know, buying a lot of the superstars. They actually had Mark Hughes be the manager. And I feel like Newcastle might need to go that route where they probably can't pluck the superstar manager right away, but they might need to go a route maybe finding a decent manager that's a, a, an upgrade over obviously Steve Bruce, but someone that can at least play a little bit of attractive football may, maybe not be the, he might not be the best manager, but he can at least get you somewhere close. And then once you're at that level, maybe you can attract one of the big managers to kind of come in, develop a style, win some trophies. And then from there, it just kind of domino effect of trickling down and like, who, who else can you get after that? Yeah. I'm thinking totally Tony Pulis. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming back. The success in the Premier League. I don't know. Um, it's like, because right now, you know, as we mentioned, there's not really that many managers just kind of sitting around. You probably have to yeah. snag them from another club that's currently going. But yeah, that's a tricky one. Maybe it could be a Newcastle legend. Maybe Alan Shearer just comes back and decides to be a manager. I don't know how that really works. It doesn't really translate one for one. If you're a good player, you become a good manager. Yeah. So, it's always tough. I, mm-hmm. I know I know. last year when we were doing this, uh, Mauricio Pochettino was the hot name because obviously he was still a free agent in the job market. Um, obviously now he's the PSG coach, but um, the rumor was that, okay, if we get Mauricio Pochettino, he can be the guy that spearheads the whole project. But now obviously that's not the case. Uh, there is Zidane, but Zidane is not going to join Newcastle. He wants the France national team job really badly. Um, and there's a couple of people out there, but there's I, I just don't think that any of the top names you see at the top clubs, I don't think they're willing to leave that position. Like you wouldn't see Jurgen Klopp just leave Liverpool just to join Newcastle. It's just not going to happen. So, yeah. And then it would affect the integrity of certain managers if they decide, you know, what? Yeah. oh, I'm just going to go to Newcastle. All that money. <laughs> so, I mean, I find it a little ironic too that like they're they're going to you know, Amanda Savely and their team is going to possibly kick Steve Bruce out before according to the rumors before even the game kicks off against uh, Tottenham this weekend. And I'm like, what are they going to do? Little... They don't even have anyone lined up. <laughs> it's like, I don't understand. Sometimes they just kick them out before you even have a replacement ready to go. Maybe it's like a, a statement just to kind of lay down. It's like, you know, we're, we're, we mean business. We mean change. We're not going to you know wait. We're just going to do it as quickly as we can the right Check way. And I'm Chris Coleman. <laughs> yeah. Chris Coleman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, I mean, but I, I have seen like rumors from Newcastle fans that actually a, a lot of the players on that current team will actually be sold or the process will be to try to sell them. I think the only players that you could realistically see staying are Alan St. Maximum, Amiya Amiron, maybe Callum Wilson. And then outside of that, um, Slim Pickens. It was not that they, they, they basically said they didn't want to see it. They had a couple players that they wanted to keep. But after that, it was just like, who else can we ship out and who can we bring in? But I've heard some, you know, fantasy rumors of just, you know, some Newcastle fans were like, realistically, we could, you know, maybe get players that are unwanted at big clubs. So maybe the likes of like a Umtiti, Longley, a Coutinho, 
Um, those all players, Barca. <laughs> yeah, all Barca. But no, just like those players of that ilk where they're on huge contracts and no one else will really want to buy them. But, the, you know, Newcastle can come in and be like, hey, we have the money. Even if you flop, even if you flop, like, um, even if you flop, you can still join the club and, you know, basically start out your new career here. And I think Manchester City did that when they signed the likes of Robinho. Um, who, who else did they sign in that beginning era? I know they signed Robinho and a couple other players that were, Tevez? you know, not Maybe. exactly world-class at that point, but they were getting there at a certain point. Mm-hmm. I mean, even for them, I feel like you kind of need a little bit of mix where it's like you have some of those players that uh, they, they should have been good, but then they weren't. And then also getting that next up-and-coming big star that's like a youth player because I feel like that's also like a cornerstone. Like when AC Milan got Alexander Pato, I mean, it was supposed to be like a next big star, but then since it failed, it's like, oh, crap, what do we do? But mm-hmm. kind of basing it around that too. So I don't even... Hmm, like, you know, right now, Real Madrid just got Camavinga. I, I was going to say that's a pretty that would be a pretty good one where it'd be a very low risk for them to bust. Maybe like a Joao Felix over at, at the Atletico. And kind of tongue twister right there. <laughs> but like kind of players like that to also just have just ready to go. that are kind of big names that will be next online, like Mbappe as well. But I don't see with Newcastle, at least it's going to be a little tricky to attract those kind of players right now, just because they don't even have European competition. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and they're like, help us get out of the relegation zone, please. And like, that's their appeal right now. It's like, we have a lot of money and like, that's about it. But you know, money mm-hmm. talks but at the same time. I'm like, We'll see how far it can go. So, yeah. I mean, hmm. that's that is. I would think that'd probably be the the model, just based on like what Yosh and I are seeing right now, as like you know outsiders. We're not on the board. We, who knows? Maybe Amanda's listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> like, listen out for taglines. Is like who's saying my name a lot. So, <laughs> and then that might influence. If we see Coutinho join the team in d- January, then we know she's listening. <laughs> but you know, it's just little things like that. But. I, I definitely think it will take some time. They have 190 million pounds in terms of net profit. And I don't think they'll spend it all at once. I feel like it'd be a little foolish to do that. Cause what are you going to do? If you bring in all these players, you have to sell the other players to make room. And not only that, you also have a chemistry that's already built amongst the players already in the club. Like look, we'd even mention the player who's their captain, like uh Lachelle's or, I keep hearing from Jimmy Conner. I call him the sna- snails, so I can only remember him from that, the center back. <laughs> Jermaine Lachelles? Yes. Or Jamal Lachelles? Yeah. I was thinking it's like, it's either Jamal or Jermaine. Yeah, but it's Jamal. Jamal. Okay, Jamal is... Gosh dang. The snails. <laughs> we call him the snails because he's basically really slow. But he was a decent center back in terms of who they currently have because Fabian yeah. Cher, usually injury prone, and then... Uh, he can hit a long shot, though. He can't hit a long shot. <laughs> They also have like Mankio and Debravka is still there, right? Yeah, Debravka, but he's injured right now. So, I mean, and he just yeah. signed a like I believe like a six year contract too, not too long ago, oh. or like a five year contract, like a long term contract with Newcastle. So he's is, not going. Is John Joe Shelby still there? John Joe Shelby still there? So like, Dang. I, I, I would probably replace John Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Hot headed Voldemort right there. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, they have all these players. It's like you have to kind of move them on as you bring in these new players you can't just have more players than what's some is there a squad limit in the Premier league i think there is, there is. Well, there's also the um 
Yeah, and and I, and I will also say it's it would be really hard to pluck any top European player that's playing in Champions League right now to go play in like a relegation battle, Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I just feel like it's just not possible. Like it just would be then, like impossible to do. On top of that, too, Newcastle is not the most ideal place to move <laughs> to if we're being honest. Like in terms of just the climate like literal weather over there like you, yeah. this is the kind of thing i would see in career mode where it's like ah, i miss i miss the climate back at home you know i, I kind of want to move out like i would see something like that if you had a newcastle player just because you know it's not california it's not you know spain this yeah. is literally like the equivalent of like seattle in like february <laughs> it's just constantly raining just kind of cold. muggy kind of cold just sad you don't really see the sun so on top of that, it's like, is is that all that money really worth it? Because you're going to be going over there. It's going to be kind of rough over there. So mm-hmm. that's also something you have to kind of take into account, too, because it's like literally that the not only play for the club, but that they live there. <laughs> so, yeah, the train that live there. And it's just like, can you really convince someone like Erling Holland to leave Dortmund right now and say, look at beautiful Newcastle. Look at all we can provide to you. We can provide to you the. <laughs> <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean and all the ports <laughs> and all this is like mm. <laughs> I'd stay in Germany yeah I'd stay in Germany too and also they're in Champions League right now so yeah got that so it, it'll it'll be interesting to see kind of how what develops in terms of you know when January hits who they actually can go out and buy who actually comes in who leaves you know who the new manager is I feel like um we may not see huge wholesale changes this transfer window or this upcoming one, but definitely during the summer, I feel like that's when they're going to start, you know, start making a lot of moves and seeing where they're at in terms of mentality and where they're trying to take the club. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's definitely the, the Newcastle new ownership has just been something that's just been on our heads. And unfortunately we didn't get a chance to talk about last week because as soon as we recorded the day after they announced this. So it, it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens and the potential uh, pushbacks Anything that happens in the future, whether the new ownership gets revoked, we never know. So we'll, we'll yeah. obviously be here to, to provide the updates for anything that could happen and will happen um, when it comes to this. But uh, I wanted to shift the conversation to um, two big teams that dealt with a bit of an injury bug during the international break. Um, I guess I could start off with the Manchester United. Rafael Varane in the UEFA Nations League final for France went down with a groin injury, got subbed off, I think, at halftime or just... Um, a little bit after halftime and United basically announced or they did announce that he will be injured for the next couple of weeks. And this is really bad news for Manchester United fans because Harry Maguire went down with the calf injury in the Aston Villa game and he's still um, on the verge or still on the process of recovering. He hasn't pr- he don't he hasn't practiced in any first team training yet. Um, so he might be out for maybe another couple of weeks. So a big injury bug in the two top center backs for Manchester United. And now they're essentially relying on Victor Lindelof, Eric Bailly, who's most likely going to get injured, and Phil Jones. That's that's all we have. That's literally all we have for center backs. So, you know, pray for us because this is a um, really tough run of fixtures that Manchester United have because they play Leicester City, then they play Atalanta in the Champions League, then they have Liverpool, then they have Tottenham, and then they play Atalanta again in the Champions League, and then they have the Manchester Derby. So... It is a really, really tough run of fixtures and a really horrible time to lose your top two center backs. I mean, you got Phil Jones. <laughs> and you, you don't want to forget about that. The the forgotten man. Maybe he'll go to Newcastle. Who knows? But <laughs> I feel like for Manchester United right now, it's 
it's kind of ironic that it's just like, all right, there's on such a big high. And then now it's just like, all right, <laughs> it's back to the same old, same old last year. So, I mean, I feel like injuries, that's the thing about injuries too. It's just like, they come with the sport, whether you're playing professionally or just playing recreational or just playing pickup, <laughs> they kind of come with the sport. So it's kind of having like those worst case scenarios and those disaster recovery plans. But for Manchester United, it's just so bad. Like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> it's like bad luck. It's like what happened in Liverpool last season with Van Dijk yeah, going so out, then Gomez went down, then Matip went down, and then, you know, it's just everyone keeps going down, and then you're just out to, like, youth center backs at this point. Just do the Ronaldo fitness routine because this man usually is never injured, and he's, like, 36. <laughs> so I feel like, uh, I don't know. But, I mean... They'll also kind of add on top of that. I'm going to go on my own rant too with just Liverpool just because, you know, every time there's an international break, there's always one Liverpool player I feel like that always gets injured. Usually it's Joe Gomez, but this <laughs> this time it was Diogo Jota and it was injured with an undisclosed muscular injury. So we who knows what could that be? That could be like groin. It could be your thumb. It could be anything. But that means, you know, Roberto Firmino will probably start this weekend. But I mean... It's kind of always sus. It's like there's a sniper in the building just going after Liverpool players every single international break. That's all I'm going to say. We're just going <laughs> to... There's a pattern that we're starting to see. <laughs> Not so clever, whoever you are, going after our players, but it's kind of rough. Do you feel like... This is this is something we didn't really have kind of written down, but it's just like, do you feel like there should be more breaks? Like literal physical breaks? put into a season to kind of give some players rest or do you feel like what they have now is still all right because like not everyone goes in places of the country and every international break yeah I, I feel like there definitely should be actually more breaks be putting put in for the players i mean obviously as a fans it sucks because we like we get less you know sport to watch but the, with the talks of them maybe moving the world cup into a biannual thing where it's every two years instead of every four years and you know the euros and then not to mention you have you know basically international friendlies going on year long these players essentially get no breaks i know courtois went on a rant when Italy and Belgium played in the third and fourth place game for the UEFA Nations League competition. And he just went on a rant after Belgium got third place or Belgium. Yeah, Belgium finished in fourth place, actually. Um, And he just went on a rant saying that, you know, UEFA, FIFA, um, the governing bodies, they don't care about us. You know, all they care about is money because we're basically being like, you know, run to the floor like we're constantly playing and then when you constantly play you pick up injuries and then when you pick up injuries like you can't play and then when you can't play the team struggles and it's just a cycle that keeps going on and I think you know I, I think this has been a problem I think we have mentioned it you know in other podcast episodes just the run of games that these players go through it's just they're playing every single week and not to mention I think you know, they're coming back for club competition in these coming coming four weeks. But then after that, they go back to another international break to play more World Cup qualifiers. So it's just the never ending, basically, amount of games. It just never stops. And I feel like it's not good for anyone's health to do that. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for those who have to fly to other continents for their qualifying yeah. competitions, like in Asia or South Korea or maybe for Senegal, like the US, and, like U.S. men's national team players, right, even U.S. too, you have to fly across the Atlantic. <laughs> so yeah. that time zone difference and everything, because it kind of got me thinking about it. Even when I saw like the NFL game that happened in London this past weekend, mm-hmm. I'm like, how are these people adjusting? 
<laughs> How yeah. these players adjusting to London? They're literally five hours ahead now, and they're just playing like a full contact sport and just like full. This is like a regular season game. So for them, I mean, it, they played a UEFA Nations League final during the middle of like the regular season for soccer, which is kind of weird. I didn't even realize it was even happening until I saw it live. I was like, oh, why is there a final going on right now <laughs> in the middle of at the beginning of October? And mm-hmm. it was France versus Spain. And Mbappe scored like a basically offside goal to win it all. And I was like, is this trophy even mean anything? <laughs> it's like they have so many superstar players on the team. I'm like, I don't even know if people will even realize this is going on. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think it caught a lot of people off swim. And then um, not to mention that there's also the fact that the next World Cup, the 2022 World Cup will literally be played in the middle of the club season. Like it's going to play it being played is going to be played in the middle of October, November. So it, that's also a thing too. It's, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. And also it's just like certain competitions such as like World Cup. I should, I still feel like it should be every four years and not mm-hmm. too frequent just because I feel like if it's as common, then it's going to be not as prestigious to win. It's like, oh, it's yeah. like, we'll just get it next two years. Yeah, Farmers like You start seeing like certain <laughs> players, like I remember like some of the older players when they know when they exit the tournament, like, you know, Chiellini or, you know, Nucci, someone like that, when they exit the tournament and they know it's like, oh, that's probably my last World Cup. Or like if you see a player going at like, Royce like at 29 is like we find I finally get to go I missed like the first two because of injury and it means mm-hmm. so much to them to finally go in even if it's really late in their career so like that kind of magic from the World Cup and also just that kind of tradition I feel like it shouldn't be changed and it, yeah it would lose some of its pedigree if you just have it every two years it's like oh <laughs> it's like <laughs> at that point it's almost annual and it's like almost you have the same teams from World Cup to World Cup at that point almost Whereas, like, yeah. you can see from, like, 2014 to 2018, like, some teams were almost completely different. Yeah. So. And it's also, like, it's, you know, I agree, too. I think the World Cup every four years, that, that what that's one of the reasons why it's so magical from the women's and men's game is just that you have to wait so long to play it. And then, you know, you have to qualify for it. And then, you know, there's instances where some of the big nations don't qualify because they don't get the job done during qualifying. Um, mm-hmm. hinted the U.S., but um, when it happens every four mm-hmm. years, you get so many magical moments. Players like James Rodriguez coming out in 2014, the Shabalala goal in like 2010, you know, magical moments throughout that just, you know, you, you don't get if it's not coming every four years, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, How's it going to work in the winter for the Qatar? <laughs> I didn't even think about that till now. Yeah, that could be his the, own the reason they're playing episode. it in the middle of the season is because it gets way too hot in the summer that it would literally be like physically impossible to play in the summer because it just gets too hot mm-hmm. in Qatar. And that's why they have to put it in the middle of the um, club season because that's when it's cooler in Qatar. But I, I don't know exactly how they're going to do it, whether they're going to pause the club season or if the club season's still going to go on just with the people that haven't been picked for the uh, national team. And that's like when you get in a really sticky situation because obviously Liverpool, Manchester United's of the world are not going to be like, well, we don't want to suck. Like we want to continue being in the top four in Champions League. So it's like you can't, like if you leave for your national team, like, you know, you're not going to come back here and play for us, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they're going to do. It's a really tricky situation. And obviously FIFA put themselves in this bind by going for the money and, you know, disregarding everything else that happens and just caring about money. So what happens? Gosh, <laughs> maybe that's how Newcastle wins the tro- the Premier League. <laughs> they just buy all the players that aren't going to the World Cup. 
He's like, all right, which one's not going to make it into the squad? Hey, Norwich uh, could actually yes. not get relegated. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's going to be just all youth players playing. And maybe like... The US qual? No, wait. No, no, they're still qualifying. I was like, the US not qualify again? It's like, no, no. Maybe Pulisic will finally play. But <laughs> nah, we're, not, we're still in qualifying. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> but so... Jeez. That'll be something we'll talk about, obviously, in, in about a year from now. Because that's probably yeah, when it'll be it's coming place. up. It's literally coming up. It's, it's not too far away, which is crazy. I'm excited. But at the same yeah. time, I'm like, man, it's not in the summer. It's not the I same. Know. That's not the same. We're just part. celebrating and you're wearing a coat. Yeah. It's not right. <laughs> not right. Game's gone, as we always say. Game's gone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, injury bug has definitely plagued Manchester United, Liverpool. I feel like Manchester United got really hit with the worst of it. They're kind of getting what Liverpool got last season, where all the top players, the top center backs at least, keep getting injured. So now they have to reshuffle and figure out what they're going to do. But uh, yeah. Liverpool and United getting hit with the injury bug. And we wanted to move on to the last section, the preview section. Um, Not a big blockbuster game in terms of like top six versus top six um, this weekend. But, you know, a couple of decent matchups. For the first one, we got Brentford versus Chelsea. Brentford have been kind of the surprise team of the Premier League this season in terms of being a newly promoted side, playing with no fear. Almost had Liverpool, almost beat them, had them on the ropes. Um, And now they're playing a Chelsea team that... Yeah, they've won, but I, I feel like Chelsea haven't been exactly the most glamorous. I feel like they've kind of lo- lost a little bit of luster the past couple of weeks. So be interesting to see how Chelsea kind of handle a Brentford side that are going to be playing at home and how they're going to handle, you know, Brentford just basically coming at them at full force. But even though I said all that, I still think Chelsea's a really good team. So I, I think they'll probably win 2 1. Brentford has been the key wild card of the season whereas <laughs> they're kind of like the Huddersfield during that first season they were in the Premier League where they kind of just surprised everyone and managed to stay up mm-hmm. pretty comfortably and also like Sheffield United as well during that one season they got almost in a European competition so there's always one random team that does it and it looks like this season is Brentford and I feel like they're still on that high sometimes having international breaks does break that momentum but at the same time they also just recently drew against Liverpool and that kind of high I still feel like would be there and also on top of that a lot of those players usually on these smaller teams aren't going to play for the international teams because you know if they're on the smaller teams unless they play for some random country like San Marino and like they're their top goal scorer or they play you know for one of those other smaller nations but usually if it's a Spanish player or like an English player on Brentford or something it's usually they're not going to get called up it's like, <laughs> there's no way like someone from that country's playing there, unless you like Cucurella, I guess, playing for Brighton. But I think they're probably going to be refreshed compared to a lot of players on Chelsea who were gone on international break. And that kind of jogginess and kind of coming back, getting back in the time zone and all that. And the fact that Chelsea, as you said, Yush, aren't really as glamorous as we anticipated with all the new signings with Lukaku and also just bringing back all those key stars. You know, I think it could be a point where it could be Brentford drawing 2-2. So Dang. I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw. All right, I'm going 2-1 Chelsea win. He's going 2-2. And then we have uh, Newcastle versus Tottenham. Obviously, Newcastle are kind of going to be in the spotlight because of the new ownership. Um, where the energy is, maybe Steve Bruce is not even the manager in the dugout uh, when he enters, uh, when this game happens. So we'll see. And then Tottenham... Um, 
bit of a weird one because I know for England, when Harry Kane started their previous match, uh, he did not look very good for England or didn't look very sharp at all. So Harry Kane's lackluster form for Tottenham has kind of carried over to his England national duties. Um, obviously, they have Hyunmin Son, but I don't know. I feel like with the new energy, Newcastle, that place is just going to be rocking. Like I feel like the, the Newcastle, the crowd, the home crowd, the fans, the players, they're just going to have this new energy that they just haven't had in such a long time, obviously with the ownership with Mike, Mike Ashley, but with the new ownership, I just feel like, you know, the, the crowd is just going to be rocking. Alan said Maximum is probably going to do some saucy skill moves. Miguel Miron is probably going to play. They're just going to want to see something and they're going to get the crowd and they're going to get the players excited. So I actually think Newcastle can, uh, they'll come in and beat Tottenham. I think it will actually be a, um, I would go 3-2. I think Newcastle can win, beat Tottenham 3-2. I feel like, you know, Tottenham could answer back with the quality they have, but I feel like Newcastle's energy in the crowd will probably push them over the edge for a 3-2, 3-2 win. There's a lot of storylines that can come out of this, and this is a big vibe check to see how Newcastle are going to be under the <laughs> new ownership. And I feel like, I, I believe, you yes, in terms of having that big new owner energy, but not having a manager possibly... And even having Steve Bruce, not the greatest. So I think that new energy is going to put them up like 1-0. But Newcastle always is a really hard club to support. They always kind of disappoint. It's kind of like a more extreme version of Tottenham. So I think they're going to go 1-0 up first. And then Tottenham's going to score 2. And they're going to lose 2-1. At like the, uh. like the last 10 minutes. Like it's all going to unfold. And then that's going to set the tone where it's like there needs to be change at Newcastle. And it's going to have to start with some some of the players found out foundationally and then also with just the management and just tactics alone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully from there, it'll just be only up. But I think it'll be a 2-1. Despite Newcastle actually scoring more goals than Tottenham this season so far, which is even crazy to say, <laughs> I think I think something ironic like that is going to happen. So I'm going to say 2-1 yeah. to Tottenham. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I see that. I definitely can see like Tottenham winning, but I, I think the Newcastle vibe will probably carry them through uh, for the win. But, you know, it'll be exciting to see actually what happens in that game because I think a lot of eyes will probably be on that game. And then mm-hmm. finally, the biggest matchup of the weekend is Leicester City versus Manchester United. I mentioned um, the injury crisis that Manchester United are dealing with right now. We'll probably see an Eric Bailly and v- Victor Lindelof center back partnership. Um, you know, not the most confident because... Uh, if you've watched Manchester United this season, they've been very open in the midfield because Fred and McTominay just haven't been getting the job done there. So they're going to be very open to counterattacks. Leicester City can play really well on the counterattack. You know, with the likes of Vardy, Kelechi, and Nacho, they have players that can hurt you on the counterattack. This is going to be, um, you know, at Leicester's home ground. It's going to be a tough place. Uh, you know, Brendan Rodgers will have Leicester playing in a t- good way. Um so this one's going to be a tough one. I, I don't think Manchester United will lose, but also I, I don't think they'll be able to win because I think the center-back partnership will probably end up costing them. There's a mistake when Lindelof and Bailly play together. There's always a mistake between one of them. So I, I think this game will actually end up being a 1-1. I think I'm going to go straight up to say United win this 2-1 just because oh, wow. Leicester, hey. <laughs> they haven't been the same Leicester as years past. Like They're right now mm-hmm. sitting in 13th and... You know, Vardy's, he's always been like, oh, he's, he's old, but he's always, you know, one of those, he has that boomer energy. He just keeps going. We don't know how, <laughs> but he just, I, I guess it's all the Red Bull he drinks. But I mean, this season, 
there's not really as much help for Vardy either. Like James Madison, for some reason, is just on decline, and it's like yeah. a steep decline. Where it's the point where it's like everyone's thinking, "It's like, oh, I'm glad we didn't get him. We dodged a bullet there." But <laughs> I mean, James Madison is worse now than when he first went to Leicester, in my opinion. It's yeah. like, what's going on? So the point where even last season we saw him like get subbed in after 60th, the 60th minute typically is when he would get his his playing time. Now this season is like we're lucky to see him, and or even lucky to hear about him. It's like <laughs> you kind of forget the Leicester number ten, but also just this team itself. They're conceding a decent amount of goals per game, and they're just not as clinical in front of goal in, in terms of creating chances. That classic counterattacking Leicester. It just really hasn't hit the ball running yet mm-hmm. this season. And I guess the Manchester United side that's basically weakened in the back. They have all the opportunity, but in terms of just firepower, I think Manchester United have a little bit more of the edge there. So I think they'll get the 2-1. Dang, you never know. I, I think everyone was making jokes is that Ole's uh, magic juju uh, will come in place and they'll probably go on seven-game unbeaten run without Maguire and uh, you know Varane in the back, but... I don't know. I don't have that much confidence. So I'm going 1-1, but Tyler, Tyler's looking out for me. He's going for the 2-1 United win there, hopefully. So I'm hoping that that ends up becoming true. But with that, that uh, wraps up Season 4, Episode 128 for us. As we always say, you can check out the podcast on YouTube. Uh, watch the video version where you can subscribe to us there at The Premier Pod. You can also give us a follow on our social media pages, Instagram and Twitter, at The Premier Pod. Leave us any questions that you may have for any future episodes or anything you would like us for to, to discuss in the future. Um, you can leave it there um, down below. And also, if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, you can help us out by leaving a rating and a review. Helps us out, get us, gets us noticed to more people. But if you don't want to leave a review, just want to listen, that's totally fine. And if you want to share this podcast with anyone or a friend that's interested in Premier League or soccer, that's um, greatly appreciated. We appreciate the support any way we get it. Thank you again for tuning in and listening to Season 4, Episode 128 of The Premier Pod. Thank you, guys. Peace. Peace.